you're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. If you want to open your Bibles to Philippians, we're going to be in chapter 1, verses 12 through 26, all right? Philippians chapter 1, 12 through 26. And as you're turning there, let me just real quick, my name's Micah, I'm the worship pastor here, as Pastor Trent said, and uh, I love worshiping Jesus with our church. It was just a joy for me to hear us singing from the front row this morning, and uh, there's no greater thing that we've been created for than that, worshiping Jesus, giving him the worth and glory that he uh, so deserves. But uh, I've been, uh, every now and then I get the privilege of opening God's word with you and I'm excited to do that today. I've been wrestling through this great passage all week, but let me, let me remind you where we've been, all right? We've been in this series for the last seven weeks uh, that wrapped up last week called Nailing the Gospel, all right? And if you've been here, we've been trying to understand, uh, get an understanding of this word gospel more and more. And hopefully you have a working definition in your mind. If somebody was to ask you what the gospel is, you'd be able to tell them better because you've been here for seven weeks, okay? Uh, but if you were here last week, Pastor Trent wrapped up that series. And if you were here, we, we went through the five solas, okay? Uh, Pastor Trent said that, uh, you know, everything we need for life and godliness is found in scripture alone and that we've been justified. We've been declared righteous by grace alone, through faith alone. And then our hope is in Christ alone. And it's all for the glory of God alone. Amen. And, uh, and then last week he told us, we're going to take it one step further and we actually, it's, we need to do more than just understand the gospel. We actually need to preach the gospel to ourselves every single day. That every day that you wake up, every day you take a new breath is a chance for gospel reformation in your own life and in your own heart, right? And when you woke up this morning, when you woke up the days of this week, uh, the world around us is trying to form our vision and our thoughts and ultimately our worship onto things that aren't Jesus Christ. And so every day is a chance to pick up our cross and to follow Jesus and to deny our flesh and to reform our thinking so that we can become living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, right? And uh, here's the thing, today we're going to take it one step further, okay, as we dig into this and we're moving on and I'm going to bring you a passage from Philippians and Tyler's going to kick off, Philippi keep going in Philippians next week. Um, but once we understand the gospel, okay, and then once we begin to preach the gospel to ourselves more and more every single day, you'll never do that perfectly, whether you've been a Christian for 50 years or you're new to the faith or you're just struggling to get along each and every day, you'll never do that perfectly. And that's something that all of us have to do and start our day with every single day. But when we start to understand the gospel more and when we begin to preach the gospel to ourselves, uh, never mind what we once were living for. No longer are we living for ourselves or the things of this world. The old is gone and the new has come. And from here on to glory, it's Christ exalted over all 24-7, 365. Remember, that's the theme of this year, and we're going to kind of hit on it. We'll be reminded of it today. Uh, but here's the truth. When we become partakers of the gospel, we actually become agents of advancement for the gospel. All right, when we become partakers of the gospel, we become agents of advancement for that gospel. And today I'm gonna to talk to you about living for gospel advancement. 
You and I can be agents of advancement for this good news that we have, amen? And that's what we're after in this place, okay? So let me pray, and then we're gonna dig into Philippians chapter one, all right? Let's pray together. Father God, we come. And Lord, we need you, and God, we're expectant, and God, we thank you for what your Holy Spirit does when it gathers among us, when we are willing to gather together and seek your face. And so God, we pray that your spirit right now would illuminate the words on these pages, and God, that you would speak, uh, that we would shrink, that you would be magnified, and God, that you would be glorified in this place. Come and speak to us, change us from the inside out because of your holy word. God, we're expectant. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, point number one this morning is this. We advance the gospel through our circumstances, all right? We advance the gospel through our circumstances. And as we read through this passage, I'm gonna kind of stop here and there and just point out some things because there's a lot of great information that Paul wants us to get this morning. All right, so let's read together starting in verse 12. He says, I want you to know, brothers... So Paul starts out kind of like, hey, this is really important what I'm about to tell you. Would you listen up? And then he calls them brothers because these are people that were dear to the heart of Paul. He he planted this church in Philippi uh, on one of his missionary journeys and Paul has prayed for them and he loves them and they're, they're dear to his heart. And what he's about to tell them is so important and they need to listen up because it might be a little confusing for them to understand, but man, it's for their joy, okay? And so he says, I want you to know brothers that what has happened to me. So we got to talk about what has happened to Paul before we can get an understanding of what he's talking about, okay? So here's what happened to Paul. His current circumstances were not at all what he had planned. His current circumstances were not at all what he had planned. See, Paul, he had a pretty great plan in his mind. His plan was a God-honoring plan. His plan was on mission for the gospel and Jesus Christ. His plan was to the glory of God. And yet he found himself in a place that wasn't at all his plan. Anybody here today uh, have plans going on that aren't working out? Yeah, me too. Uh, anybody here trying to find out what God's plan is for their life? If, if you are, then you're in good company with Paul this morning, okay? Uh, here's what happened to Paul. He had this great plan. He wanted to eventually get to Rome because Rome was like the capital power of the world. If you could influence Rome with the gospel of Jesus Christ, you could probably influence a lot of the world. And so Paul had this great desire to be there and to preach the gospel. Uh, but after his third missionary journey, okay, he stopped in Jerusalem to go to the temple, pay his respects as a Jewish man. And uh, there, the Jewish people weren't very happy with the gospel message of Jesus that Paul was preaching, okay? And so uh, uh, he was actually put in prison in Jerusalem for preaching the gospel message. We come to find out for two years. And during those two years, he becomes a point of contention between the Romans and the Jewish people. And so they're like, man, we gotta get rid of this Paul guy. He's stirring up all this problems. So they put him on a ship and they send him to Rome, nice cruise ship over to Rome, right? And then his cruise ship wrecks and he finds himself in a shipwreck after two years of imprisonment. He gets to Rome, rescued from the shipwreck, and they put him back in prison on house arrest among the Imperial Guard. Anybody having a bad day today? Paul's having, has, has had a bad few years, okay? And so these are the circumstances that have happened to Paul. And then he goes on to write to uh, the Philippian church, okay? He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really stalled the gospel process. 
what has happened to me has really sent me into depression. No, he doesn't write, look look what he writes. Uh, I want you to know brothers that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. All my imprisonment, these years of going through hardship, they've actually served to advance the gospel. That word advance, Paul uses the same Greek word later in the text to say progress, okay? Uh, It's really just forward movement. See, Paul wasn't concerned with past or present problems. Paul wasn't fixated on what could have been. In Paul's mind, God's kingdom needed pushed forward no matter what the cost. And let's look at how it was advancing. In verse 13, he says, so that... It has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest of my imprisonment that my imprisonment is for Christ. See, Paul's testimony was Jesus is Lord. It was what our theme is for this year, Christ exalted over all. And everybody was hearing about it. Like the imperial guards knew why Paul was in prison because Jesus is Lord. All the people in that prison knew why Paul was in prison because Jesus is Lord. And guess what? The people outside the walls of the prison in Rome, they were starting to hear of Paul's boldness, even in the midst of his circumstance, his testimony that Jesus is Lord. And look what it says in verse 14. And most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Not only did they know about it, but Christians in Rome who may have hid their identity a little bit more, they were maybe shy about their faith. They were starting to come out of the woodwork. The boldness of Paul was emboldening the Christians in the city of Rome. And they began to preach boldly the same message, Christ exalted over all, Jesus is Lord. In Paul's circumstance, his trial, his imprisonment served the advancement of the gospel message. And that was enough for Paul to press on in his chains. And so this morning, I got to ask you a question. We know what happened to Paul and we know what he was finding his joy in in the midst of that circumstance. But what has happened to you? Like what's happened to you this week or what have you been walking through maybe for a few years like Paul? that has caused you to really wonder if God was good or it's been hard to find your joy or you're wondering what God's plan is right now because nothing seems to be working the way you think it should be working. What's happened to you? I was reminded of uh, when I was growing up, uh, my parents, they had Bible study in their house ever since I was born and they still do it on Monday nights today. And uh, there was a family at the time, like when my dad got saved uh, back in the day, he got saved with some friends and they all kind of had this close knit small group together where they got together and had Bible study on Monday nights. Well, all those, once they started having kids, we all grew up together and we were good friends and um, thankful for our parents in, in those things. Well, we had a friend, uh, Frank and Sue Zitzman were some friends of my parents and uh, they had a son named Troy and uh, he was the same age as my brother Jake, who's a year younger than me. Well, we all started going to the same church, even as my wife's family when we were like you know, in high school. And so Troy was like a best friend all through life. Well, when I was 17 and my wife was, uh, we were, we were coming back from a camp. Okay. And, uh, we get a call 
And we found out that Troy, he was 16, got killed in a motorcycle accident. And, uh, you know, that was like the first loss that we ever had experienced, especially a loss of like a dear friend who was that young. And uh, man, it was, it, it hurt. And I remember leaving, you know, we got that call, we left the camp that we were working at and we went to Frank and Sue's house, their parents' house. And uh, I remember hurting. I remember a bunch of people gathering together to fellowship with them, pray with them, saw his parents hurting. Uh, but shortly after, you know, the news wanted to ask Frank and Sue if they would share some of the story and all of that with uh, the world because of what happened. And Frank and Sue, they were really quick to talk about, you know, obviously talked about Troy's smile and his, his great character and his, his fun personality and all these things. But man, way more than that, they were so quick to talk about God's unchanging character, his sovereign goodness, and the fact that he loves us so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross to save the sins of this world. See, Troy's parents let the joy of gospel advancement trump the sorrow of earthly pain. Man, we gotta let the joy of gospel advancement trump the sorrow of our earthly pain. And we can. We can by the power of Jesus. And, and you and I, we, we may not experience something as traumatic as losing a child. And I pray that you never do. I pray that I never do. Maybe you won't find yourself in literal chains in prison like Paul. But man, in this life, you will have trials. And let me just acknowledge, your trials are hard trials. No matter where you are, no matter who you are, no matter what season of life you are, no matter how long you've walked with the Lord, your trials are hard. Your circumstances are hard. And you may not see the same magnitude of gospel advancement that Paul was afforded, but your negative circumstances will either serve as a catalyst for the gospel or as an excuse to diminish the gospel. And I don't know about you, but I want my negative circumstances to make much of Jesus because they hurt enough on earth, right? But if I can find joy in gospel advancement in the midst of my circumstance, then I welcome that with so much joy. Even allowing the good news of Jesus to advance in your own heart every single day when you're tempted to complain or grumble or argue is a reason to find joy and use your circumstance for good. So you may not see it spreading like wildfire like Paul did among the city of Rome, but man, in the midst of your every day, just let the gospel advance in your own heart. And when it starts to do that, God enables us and there's no telling what he'll do in order to multiply that effort as we seek him with all of our hearts every single day. So Paul, in the midst of a great tragic trial, hard circumstances, he found himself seeking Jesus, exalting Christ over all, and letting the gospel advance through his circumstances. But not only that, Number two this morning is this, we advance the gospel through our proclamation, okay? We advance the gospel through our proclamation. Uh, let's read, I'm gonna read 15 through 18, let's read together. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. 
The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I will rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. All right, so we're going to pick that apart because there's a few different things going on in there. But uh, first, let's just acknowledge that there was a rise in gospel proclamation happening in the city of Rome, okay? More people were talking about this gospel message, this good news in Rome. And Paul, he tells us, uh, for the most part, a lot of these people were doing it sincerely out of love, okay? All in favor of bold, loving gospel proclamation in our city and community, yeah? Anybody want more of that? I, absolutely, we need more of that, okay? And so to proclaim is to announce or declare publicly or officially, all right? To announce or declare publicly or officially. It's to declare something that one considers important with due emphasis. So how are you doing at that? How are you doing at declaring Jesus died on a cross in my place as a substitute for my sins? All who repent and believe can and will be saved. How are you doing with the gospel proclamation of that? You know, I think that's where we get tripped up. I mean, it's easy. I, I can pray in public. I can sing in public. I can, I can live my Christian faith in public. I don't have a problem with those things. I can invite people to church like real quick, but man, when I gotta like proclaim who I believe and who I stand with and uh, what the gospel message is, I can, I can get tripped up sometimes in that. I can shy away sometimes in that. You know, I think uh, maybe I'm like wondering if they're gonna receive that well, or maybe I'm like, uh, you know, are they gonna ask a question that I can't answer in the moment? Anybody ever feel those kinds of things whenever you're trying to proclaim the God? Yeah, absolutely. And, and here's the thing, God, he can absolutely use your life. He can use your circumstance. Uh, he can use your devotion to him, but God needs your proclamation. God needs your gospel proclamation. The world around us needs our gospel proclamation. And so we gotta be ready and have an understanding of the hope that is within us. And my encouragement to you, it, it, if you haven't been baptized on the right side of your salvation, man, that is a great way to start proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Why not start in front of a bunch of people who love you and will cheer you on rather than a bunch of people who probably ridicule you in the office or whatever. <laughs> And so if, if you're here today and you've yet to step into the waters of baptism and maybe you've like felt like, man, I don't know if I need to do that or I'm kind of, that's not really my thing, sharing my testimony. Man, we welcome you to come up and proclaim that Jesus is Lord, Christ exalted over all, I'm gonna do the best that I can, right? That's a great place to start. And then from there, God will embolden you to share the gospel in moments whenever you need it most. But there was something else going on in these verses, okay? So Paul was rejoicing in gospel proclamation, but let's look in verse 15. He says, some preach Christ from envy and rivalry. Man, what's that all about? Some preach Christ from envy and rivalry. You know, clearly these were people who were antagonistic to Paul. 
Like he wrote about it. He probably thought about it. I'm guessing the kind of Paul guy that Paul was, it probably irritated him from time to time, right? And so uh, most likely these were Christians who preached a generally sound doctrine, but may have been personally at odds with Paul. Uh, some writers say that maybe they uh, discounted Paul uh, because of his speaking abilities. We know from Corinthians that, you know, he wasn't always the most polished speaker, but he did it in love. Perhaps they dismissed his weakness and suffering. Paul was no stranger to that. He's in prison. He was beaten with rods. He was thrown out of every city. I mean, the guy was constantly suffering. He had a thorn in the flesh. Uh, for certain, they were not motivated by love in their message. Paul wants us to understand that. And then he goes on in verse 17. He says that they preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So you have these guys who are going around, they're preaching the gospel, but they're doing it for their own gain and maybe even to afflict Paul in his imprisonment. You know, as a pastor, I, there's not a lot of things that would be worse than having your faith and your message and your ministry slandered, right? And if that's what, if that, if that's what you know, if you're walking through life and you're trying to be a good Christian and somebody slanders your reputation for Jesus, slanders the message that you try to carry as best as you can. That would, that would hurt, right? And I, you know, I don't know if that's exactly what was going on, but a pastor's credibility, any of our credibility should be um, solely checked out based on the faithfulness to the word of God, right? We're not trying to be anybody that we're not, but we're just trying to follow God's word. Paul may have been falsely accused, but so was his savior. You know, Jesus, he walked this earth and he was called some things and he was led to a cross and yet he was silent the entire way. See, if we're following Jesus and living a loving, bold proclamation for Jesus, we can expect that mission to be attacked, but it doesn't have to steal our joy. And that's what Paul's trying to tell us in this verse. In verse 18, he's like, what then? I, I, I like that. It's like he's unfazed. It's almost like he's laughing. He's like, guys, I'm already in prison. You can't really hurt me anymore, right? What then? And these people are seeking to afflict him. And Paul's like, dude, you just said, whether it was in mocking fashion or not, you just said the very message that I've been trying to get out in the city of Rome. And in that, I find my joy. I don't find my joy. I'm not, I'm not affected by your slandering of me. I'm not affected by your opposition towards me. I am just pumped that you're saying Jesus is Lord, Christ exalted over all, and God can do what he wants with that. You know, so we don't have to get worked up about that. And let me take the opportunity to tell you this today. Harvest Bible Chapel is not at competition with any other churches in this community or area, okay? Uh, Paul, he, he had his joy secure in gospel advancement because he wasn't at competition with anybody. He didn't care about his platform. He didn't care about his notoriety. Paul just cared about the gospel of Jesus Christ advancing. And that's what we need to do as a church. That's what you need to do every single day. You're not at competition with other people. And so we joyfully carry this message. Let me remind you that we don't need to judge other ministries and what they're doing. We don't need to belittle other ministries that we see or other people and how they walk every single day. We just need to love them, how Jesus loved us. 
We don't need to bash what other people are doing in their church or in their ministries on social media. I went there, yeah. We don't need to do that. That's not what it's for. Let's just make much of Jesus together, right? And uh, I, I can't help but think of like Jeep Wrangler drivers and motorcycle drivers, right? Like the guy in the biggest Jeep Wrangler with like the big tires and the souped up, you know, uh, front end and, and the sticker that says like, flip me over. You know, he's not driving around like, oh, that guy's such a pansy in his Jeep Wrangler. His thing's so small. Oh, look, he has no dirt on that Jeep Wrangler, right? Like he's not judging every Jeep Wrangler driver as he drives around the road. He's just simply going, every time he passes a Jeep Wrangler driver, right? Like they have a hand signal and motorcycle guys, like they stick out their hand. I saw a guy on a Harley one time do this to a dude on a moped. Like a moped barely, that doesn't even deserve to be called. But because the guy's rolling around on two wheels, the guy's like, he accepts him, right? How much more should we as Christians, right? Be welcoming the body of Christ. And uh, man, I've been just encouraged. A lot of your pastors here regularly meet with other pastors in the community because we wanna be in community with other people trying to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know several of you, you know, you love and you uh, support other ministries in our community and other churches and you, you're friends with pastors and there's pastors and people getting lunch all the time. I love that, okay? And uh, in the last couple of months, I've actually, I had the privilege recently, you know, over the last two months, I've sat with 15 different worship leaders representing 10 different churches, okay? And, and we, we kind of have a relationship we talk on text every now and then, and uh, we, we have, we're building commonality in the gospel. And guess what? We actually don't agree on everything. I've been, in, I've been in a couple lunches where I'm like, I disagree with that philosophy, but I've chosen to find commonality. We are all cho choosing to find commonality in the one thing that we can agree on, and that is Jesus came to save sinners like us, okay? That's what it's all about. That's why we don't have to worry about our notoriety. Conversations around what we do disagree on, man, that's a healthy thing. Like if you have people who, you know, claim to be Christians and they live a different life than you, man, the, the, the conversation about how they're living or the conversation about how this ministry is doing this philosophically or methodologically, those are important conversations to have, but those are done out of love, relationship, and commonality, not arrogance, pride, and disunity, okay? And when you think about all the churches in this area, I mean, our world highlights constantly the negative culture. Our world constantly highlights the bad news that's happening all around us. And when I start to think, man, what we're trying to do here today and then what other churches in this community are doing the best that they can to do, and then the nation, and then the world. Man, maybe the gospel's advancing a little more than I think in our dark, bleak culture. And I can get excited about that rather than stick my nose up to that, okay? And so I think Paul, he's just rejoicing in the proclamation of the gospel message, and it gives us an example and a reason to do the same, okay? Enough of that, let's move on to point three. We advance the gospel with our lives, all right? We advance the gospel through our circumstances. We advance the gospel through our proclamation. And then finally, we advance the gospel with our 
lives. He says in uh, going into 19, yes, and I will rejoice. He says it again because he's Paul and he just is like, if you're not going to rejoice, I'm going to keep rejoicing. You're going to be sick of me until you do rejoice. Okay. So he's constantly saying it. And then he says in 19, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. All right. This will turn out for my deliverance. So Paul, he was a man of prayer. He believed firmly in the power of prayer. If you read in the beginning of Philippians, he was constantly lifting up these people in prayer. And now he's begging them, encouraging them to pray for him, okay? And then he is a man who lives his life based on the spirit of God as the helper. He needs God's spirit and he will find deliverance through the spirit alone, okay? And so through prayer, through the spirit of God, he says, this will turn out for my deliverance, all right? So he leaves some ambiguity there. And let's look at verse 20, what he's talking about when he says deliverance. As it is my my eager expectation and hope that I will be released from prison. It's my eager hope that I'll be released from this trial, that this weight would be taken off my shoulders, that life would give me health, wealth, and prosperity. Now that's not what Paul prays at all. Look what he prays. He's waiting for prayer. He's waiting for help from the spirit so that it's his eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. See, Paul didn't even know if he was gonna be physically released from prison. He could have been executed in that prison. He didn't know if he was gonna be delivered temporally or eternally, but it didn't matter to him. All that mattered to Paul was that he honored Jesus every single day when he woke up, that he had faithfulness to Christ in his living. I gotta tell you this, I was, I was studying this on Monday, okay, at Starbucks downtown and I'm sitting there and I'm writing out on this very verse, okay, and my, my Bible's open and this lady, she sits down beside me and she's like, I was just reading Philippians this week. And I was like, oh, cool. I'm really enjoying studying it. And she's like, you know what the hardest thing for me is? Just picking up my cross every single day. She said, I want to die more and more to my own anger and my own self, but I know that Jesus has saved me and changed me forever. I'm like, yo, thanks for sharing that. And then she goes on, she's like, see, I'm not from around here. She's like, I'm actually from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And I'm like, oh, hey, I'm from Pittsburgh too. And once you, when you meet people who are from Pittsburgh, you're just instantly friends, okay? And so she's like, I grew up in Washington and my parents used to take our family to, to Washington to do some things. And that's like right around Pittsburgh area. And I was like, I grew up in Butler, Pennsylvania. And she's like, oh, she's like, I had friends. I lost some friends to drug use in, in Butler. And I was like, I actually have lost a lot of friends to heroin in Butler. And she said, you know, I was, in, I was into heroin for a long time and ended up in a halfway house in Butler, Pennsylvania. And she said, but Jesus changed my life. And I'm like, you beat that? And she says, yeah, I moved out here seven years ago. And she says, I have a daughter. I'm trying to teach her about Jesus every day. She has a marriage and she's trying to glorify God every day in that marriage. And you know, the thing about this lady I think she's more like Paul than you and I might think. She's mostly concerned with honoring Christ each day of the battle, but she has confidence that the Lord has saved her forever. 
And then Paul goes on in verse 21 and he says this great statement, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul had two options. He wasn't about his own comfort or advancement. Paul wasn't about his platform. Paul was about the advancement of Christ's kingdom. Read in verse 22. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of the coming to you again. See, Paul, he's kind of plays with the idea that he has a choice between two things. He knew he didn't have a choice. It was up to God, right? But he's like, I'm hard pressed. If I'm to live, I'm gonna just serve Jesus with all my heart. I'm gonna come to you and I'm gonna let you know that Jesus is Lord, Christ exalted over all every single day and that you should rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. If Paul was gonna live, that's what he was gonna do. But if he was to die, that meant stepping across the threshold of heaven, hearing God say, welcome home, good and faithful servant and finding joy and rest and worship for the rest of his life. See in verse 23, he says, depart and be with Christ for that is far better. Some versions say that's far easier. Paul thought of death as gain because of that. I love the, that verse. Like it, it gives us a theology that when we die, we're instantly in the presence of Jesus. There's no place of rest. You're not gonna lay in the ground until Jesus returns. When you breathe your last breath on this earth, instantly you are in the presence of Jesus. And the immediacy of heaven upon death should be an encouragement to any believer that God has got it all under control. So I'm going to leave a bold legacy for Jesus while I'm here. See, the service-driven life will lead to a worship-basking eternity. And when we come to see death as true gain, man, you get to fight from a place of victory rather than for a victory. You don't have to fight your battles for a victory because you know that the victory's already been won. And so you can fight from the place of heaven. And the worst thing that could happen to you on this earth is actually the best thing that could happen in all of eternity. Heaven is all gain. Like 1.6 billion on the Powerball gain, right? To us on earth. Way better than that, okay? I saw, I saw a hip hop artist uh, who has tons of money uh, at a gas station buying stacks of Powerball tickets. Cause like the guy's like, I'm gonna win that 1.6 Billy. He's obviously living for something, but man, if you're living for Jesus Christ, you're gonna gain something so much more. You don't need to waste your time with that kind of stuff because Jesus has a place for you as we've sung today and he wants to welcome you home. Uh, one of the reasons I love being a pastor is cause I get to sit with awesome people from time to time and hear their stories. And recently I uh, got to sit with this family, okay? And this family, they're choosing to live their life in hard places among unreached people, filling their time with jobs they never thought they'd be doing solely for the advancement of the gospel. And man, I'm like, I was loving just 
hearing what they were saying. And they talked about how they don't like, they don't want to ever be called missionary. Like they, they cringe their nose at that word. And here's why they said, I wrote it in my phone. The term missionary or the Western definition may be negatively influencing the mission of gospel advancement. Perhaps loving God by becoming literal neighbors with specific people and loving them well is most effective to the glory of God and his kingdom. And so enough of like the separation between secular and sacred, enough of the full-time ministry talk. Some people are called to full-time ministry. Some people are called to mission. Some people aren't. No, man, if we are all enlisted into the army of God, and as long as you're here on this earth breathing, it's about gospel advancement. It's about pushing the kingdom of Christ forward with everything that we got. If we've been radically changed by the gospel, our new reason for breathing is the advancement of that gospel. Listen, people need to see the beauty of Jesus changing you personally. People need to see that. And when I begin to live the gospel, exalting Christ above all, the advancement of this glorious good news will radically shape how I view my circumstances, my opposition, and ultimately my mission on this earth. I was reminded of this quote I wanna share with you on Friday night. Uh, I think my mother-in-law sent me this quote when I was going through a hard time several years ago and I've kept it in my phone. Listen to this quote. The gospel is the one great permanent circumstance in which I live and move. And every hardship in my life is allowed by God only because it serves his gospel purposes in me. When I view my circumstances in this light, I realize the gospel is not just one piece of good news that fits into my life somewhere among all the bad. I realize instead that the gospel makes genuinely good news out of every other aspect of my life, including my severest trials. The good news about my trials is that God is forcing them to bow to his gospel purposes and do good unto me by improving my character and making me more conformed to the image of Christ. So what are you living for? Maybe the best way to measure this this week is to recreate Paul's statement to write, to live is blank and to die is blank. And you fill in the blanks, take some time to fill in the blanks. What do you view death as? Is it scary? Is it relief from your problems? Man, when we come to see death as true gain, then it puts us drastically on a different mission than the rest of the world. And notice that he, Paul, Paul, he doesn't live for Christ plus anything, okay? I think a lot of us, myself included, it's easy to say I live for Christ plus comfort, Christ plus money, Christ plus the ease of life, Christ plus family. We can put a lot of good things up there, but man, it's Christ exalted over all. And when we start to get that right, God graciously gives us a correct vision for the blessings that we have all around us. When we start to get that right, 
God shows us that it doesn't matter about our platform. We can find joy in gospel advancement rather than our circumstance or our opposition. And then we start to see death as true gain. And that emboldens me. I don't know about you. So I'm gonna ask you to stand. I wanna pray for you because I know this is not easy. But here's what I want you to do. Can you hold your hands out in front of you? And can you clench your fists? Close your eyes. Clenched in your fist are the things that you struggle to live for sometimes. Just think about it for a minute. Christ plus what? All of us are tempted to do this. Now on the count of three, I'm gonna ask you to take a deep breath all together and I want you to open your hands and here's what it symbolizes. Every time, every day that you wake up and you take another breath, it's a chance to exalt Jesus Christ above all, above the things that you so easily clench on to. One, two, three. God, I pray for my friends, my brothers and sisters here. Lord, it's not easy. I know some of them are facing just hard trials, unimaginable circumstances. God, I know some of them feel like they're doing everything that they can to exalt Jesus and nothing seems to be working out for them. God, I pray that your loving hand would comfort them this morning. God, I pray that they would know that you care for them. God, I pray that your kindness would lead them to repentance and to see you for who you are. A gracious heavenly father who's intimately and intricately involved in the deepest facets of our heart. God, I pray you give us a right view of salvation, a right view of heaven. God, I pray that you'd help us to truly see death as gain so that we can live our life for the mission of Jesus Christ. God, fill us up, send us out. Change us, God. Use us, God. So that we might be able to exalt you over all.